Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. you know that God is a full-service God? There is no area of your life that He's not interested in. There's no area of your life that he's not prepared to move. Salvation is always going to be the mainstay of what God does in our lives, right? That's why Jesus said he came. But salvation is not all that God does in our lives. He is interested in every area of our earthly experience. Let me be more specific. If all you ever receive from Jesus is salvation... It's like going to the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and only ordering a sandwich every time. Or maybe just one time, right? There's a whole lot more that God offers than that. Jesus said in this passage in John, I came that you could not just have life, but have abundant life. Not just salvation, but so much more than than that. There is no area of your life that you cannot and should not have affected by your relationship with God. There's nothing you can pray about that God's ever going to throw up his hand to stop you and say, just hang on right there. I don't really do that. I'm not really into that part of your life. Keep it to yourself. There's no, that's never, ever going to happen. You'll never pray about stuff that's out of bounds in your relationship with God. He's a full-service God. Our relationship with him begins at salvation. It doesn't end there. Jesus didn't die on the cross that, so that you could be forgiven and miserable. So that you could be forgiven and broken. Forgiven and hurting forgiven and bound. He wants you forgiven and free and healed and whole. That's his desire for you. Now, last week we talked about guarding your heart for the holidays. And, and the, really the main objective was to help people understand, help people admit that they're wounded and hurting and get them to, to prepare themselves for what might be coming as we approach the holidays. This week, I want to take it a step further. I don't just want you to be aware of the heart disease that you might have. I want to help you heal from it. It makes no sense to go to a diagnostician and get the diagnosis of a heart disease and then do absolutely nothing about it. That doesn't make any sense at all. So, so I want today, I want us to focus on what it is we can do when we identify the fact that we're, our hearts, our souls are wounded. I honestly did not plan to talk about this again. I thought when I said amen last week, I was done. But I sensed in this congregation that there are people who are willing to admit that they have issues, to admit that they, that they have pain and ready to embrace that pain and that brokenness, but they really didn't necessarily know what to do about it. And so Jesus wants you to have an abundant life, but that cannot happen. You will never have 
the abundant life that Jesus wants you to have if your soul is not healthy, if your mind, your emotions, and your will, your decision-making process is not healthy. If something in your past or in your present has harmed you, has brought you pain, has affected areas, those areas of your life, Jesus wants to heal you. So two things that I want you to hear today. And here's the first one. There is hope for your hurting heart. There is hope for your hurting heart. And I, and I, wanted, I want to tell you this because I know when you recognize the damage that's been caused to you from your past, from the abuse, from the trauma, from the stress, from the trials, whatever it is, when you become aware of how badly you're hurting, it can be overwhelming. And it feels like that you're destined to be this way until you die. Listen to me. There is hope for your hurting heart. You can be healed. You can be made whole. Your mind can be restored. Your, your thoughts can be purified. Your emotions can be mended. Your temper can be controlled. The abundant life that you've dreamed of the one that you thought your abuser had stolen from you, the abundant life that you thought life had just beat out of you, that abundant life is still accessible to you today. It's not out of reach. It's not too late. You can be happy and healthy and whole again. There is hope for your hurting heart. Will somebody please say amen? Robbie, would you turn the air on, please? I know it was cool this morning. It is no longer cool. You say, John, I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I'm just not convinced. The church I grew up in, like Mama Nim's church, only talked about churchy stuff. They only talked about salvation. It was only about saving my soul. They never said anything about healing my soul. Well, I'm, it's a wonder that we don't know each other because that sounds like the church I grew up in. But would you agree with me that it's more important to find out what this word says than to, than to just live by what Mama Nim's church said? About 20 of you. Would you agree with me that what's in this book is more important than what Granny told you? All right, let's look and see. Matthew chapter 11. No disrespect to Granny's everywhere. I love all of you, probably, if I knew you. Matthew 11. Verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Not condemnation, not shame, not guilt. Rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. The burden that I give you is light. It's really important to see what Jesus said in this passage. It's also important to see what he did not say. He did not say, come to me, all of you who are still sinners, and I will give you salvation. Is that true? Yes. Did he do that in other contexts and in other ways? Yes. And is that the mainstay of his ministry on earth? Yes. But that's not what he said in this passage. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. That's not just the sins that you've committed. 
That's also the sins that other people have committed against you. The abuse, the constant criticism, the negativity, the shame, the guilt, all of that stuff that people have perpetrated against you are part of the, are part of the, the, the burdens that you carry. And it's not just the sin, also part of the heavy burden that life throws at us, the grief, the loss, the stress, the trauma. Jesus said, come to me if you've experienced those things and you will find rest for what? For your soul, your soul, not just the eternal part that needs to be saved, but the mind and the will and the emotions that need to be healed and restored. Jesus is offering you rest. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that you've had rest in your mind? When's the last time? When's the last time you had rest in your emotions? Jesus is offering that to you. And he's not kidding about it. He's not kidding. He wouldn't joke about something like that. And he's unable to lie because he is the truth. There is hope for your hurting heart. Let me show it to you in another place. Let's go back to uh, our opening scripture and let's put it in context. John 10, let's, let's read the verse before, the, re, the verse after, see if we can get a sense of what it is that Jesus is saying. In verse 9, Jesus said, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Hallelujah. There's the eternal life that he's promised us, right? There's the salvation. He said they will come. Who, who's they? The sheep will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them, the sheep, a rich and satisfying, abundant life. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So what did he say? He said, I'm a good shepherd. I love the sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. That's for us. But he also said, I'm the gate to the good pastures. You come to me and you will find good pastures. That sounds like familiar imagery, doesn't it? Let's, let's go there and look. Psalm 20, 23, the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. He's a good shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Look at the, look at the very next sentence. Please don't miss this. He restores my soul, my soul. Look that word up if you think I'm making stuff up. That word doesn't just mean your eternal salvation. That word means the innermost parts of you, your mind, your will, your emotions. He's a good shepherd. You have no wants, you have no needs that he doesn't provide for, including the needs of your soul. He leads us to green pastures and to still waters so that we can do what? So that we can find rest for our souls. Our souls. I don't know why the Lord just keeps, I keep hammering on this, but somebody needs to hear. Jesus didn't just come to save your soul. He came to heal it and restore it and give you a way forward to walk in that healing. To stay there. 
There is hope for your hurting heart and it's found in Jesus. Now, the sign out front says covenant life is real. So let's get real for a few minutes. You say, John, I'm so excited. I'm just thrilled that there's hope. But how do I get me some of that? I know there's hope for healing, but I don't need just hope. I need some for real healing. How do we get that? Matthew, in, in the passage in Matthew, Jesus said, come to me. Come to me and let's get yoked together. What in the world does that mean? It, it's, a, a, it's a farming term. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's a farming concept where a bigger, stronger, wiser, older ox is put in a wooden harness called a yoke with a smaller, less experienced ox. And that ox, uh, that older and wiser ox takes most of the load while they pull the plow. They take most of the load while the younger one learns what to do, how to walk, how to manage the burden, how to bear the load. And Jesus is telling us, come and get in a close relationship with me. Come walk right here beside me. I'll show you how to walk I'll show you how to live. I'll show you how to bear the load. I'll take the brunt of the burden while you're healing and learning and growing. That's what yoking together with Jesus is. What else did he say? He said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. He said that in a different passage. Come follow me as your shepherd, Jesus is saying. Go where I lead you. Do what I tell you. And I'm going to take you to places that will allow your soul to be healed and restored and refreshed and rested. I'm going to take you to green pastures and still waters. That's how the healing happens. You're like, well, John, again, yay for you, man. That sounds great. But I'm not standing in front of Jesus anymore. He's gone. That was great for the people who could walk with him and talk with him and go camping with him and do his ministry tours and all of that stuff. But he's gone back to heaven. What are we supposed to do now? How do we follow him when he's not here? Jesus knew that was going to happen. And he knew you were going to ask that question. And he left three things in his place to represent himself to us. And I want to begin talking about those things today. And we'll have to finish up next week. And in talking about those things, here's the second thing I want you to remember from today. Not only is there hope for your hurting heart, but there is healing for your hurting heart. It's not potential. It's not pie in the sky. It's not someday when we all get to heaven, I'll be made whole. There is healing for your heart in the here and the now, in the land of the living. And this is how you receive it. These are the things that Jesus left for us to represent himself to us. John 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 14. In the beginning, the word, notice the word is capitalized. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Who in the world is this? Sounds like they're talking about a person. Verse 14, so the word became human, became flesh, made his home among us. He was full, he, so it's a person, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. There's only one person that fits that description. It's Jesus. Jesus. This Bible, the word, this Bible is the physical 
written expression of the character and nature of Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. This is his will. This is his word. This is his way. If you want to follow Jesus to those green pastures and those still waters, if you want to get yoked together with him in a close relationship, this is how you do it. Right here in the pages of this word. You say, John, oh, I was afraid you were going to say that because the Bible is so dry and so boring. And you know what? If you read it religiously, it is. You will have that experience. If you're, if you're just following a reading plan because you think that's what good Christians are supposed to do, then you probably won't get much out of it and you probably won't last long. If you only do it out of obligation because you feel guilty when you don't do it, it'll never be more. Reading this word will never be more than a religious chore for you. But when you understand that this word is alive, when you understand that this word is what brings you life and power and healing and hope, then you approach it with a completely different mindset. When you consume the words of this book, not as an academic exercise, not as some sort of religious exercise, but as the words of life, it changes everything. And you begin to receive what Jesus intended for you to receive from the very beginning, from the pages of this word, and that is a revelation of himself. He didn't write it so we could memorize it and quote it and put it on coffee cups and t-shirts. He gave it to us so we could learn who he was and have a relationship based on the revelation of himself that he gives us. So let me show it to you. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. If you've been in church, you've heard this all your life. Romans 12 and 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You're like, good Lord, John, if, I, if I've ever needed to be a new person, it's like right now. How do you do that? Changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know all mental things, God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And this is his will. How does your mind get changed? By reading and understanding and accepting and practicing this word. Like, John, how does that help you? I just don't understand how putting that into your mind will help. Because when you experience pain and trauma and trials and tribulations and grief and loss and stress, it affects your soul. It affects your soul. And your soul is your, emotion, your emotions and your will, and your what? Your mind. If your mind changed when you got hurt, doesn't it make sense that your mind is going to have to change in order for you to get healed? Doesn't that make sense? And when you get hurt, when you have pain, when you have trauma in your life, it changes how you think about stuff. Right? Hadn't you, haven't you said that? Well, I used to think that way too until this happened. It changed something. Now listen, this is really short and it rhymes. And I didn't mean for it to rhyme. It just does, okay? Pain changes your brain. You're welcome. Pain changes your brain. Have you ever said something like, 
I've got so, so much going on right now. So much has happened in my life in the last two weeks. I can't even think straight. Y'all ever said that? Y'all ever had to turn down the radio so you could find the next street where you're going to? Y'all know that don't make any sense. It's too loud. I can't see. It's like your mama saying, I'm cold. Put some clothes on. You put some clothes on. I'm not cold. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with you. We, we do. Our mind gets all discombobulated, right? We just, well, there's so much going on, we can't fake straight. And that's not just emotionally true, it's biologically true. In the time that we spent as foster parents, we went to a bunch of training. And, and over and over again, our time in those trainings, they talked at length about the fact that trauma changes a person's brain biologically. They literally do not think or feel like a healthy, untraumatized person. Traumatized people make enthusiastically, consistently, and obviously bad decisions. And they do that because their thinking and their feeling is faulty. So if it's affecting the way you think and the way you feel and the decisions you make, you have a soul problem. A soul problem. If you've been through significant pain in your life, that pain has caused the chemistry of your brain to be altered to some extent. Certainly, some people way more than others, okay? But it's still, it's still a thing that we have to deal with. That, that's an extreme expression of what Paul was talking about here. If you're going to be transformed into a healthy follower of Jesus, you're going to have to reprogram your brain with a truth that isn't affected or informed by trauma. You've got to base your life on something that does not move, it does not change, and it cannot be altered, and that is this everlasting truth of the Word of God. Jesus Christ in word form, right there. He left us this word so that we could follow him to green pastures and still waters so our souls could rest. And resetting your brain is one of the most important steps. So when you read what the Bible says about you, and it doesn't just talk about Jesus, it talks about what Jesus thinks about you and did for you. So when you read what the Bible says about you, when you read that you are loved unconditionally, when you read that you are chosen, that he knew you and still picked you for his team, when you realize that you were created for a purpose, when you read that you were created with a gift, when you read that you have been forgiven, that you've been made righteous and holy by him, then you have to reject, intentionally reject, dislodge all of the negative stuff that the pain has put into your brain and then you have to receive, replace it with the eternal truth of this book right here because what he says is true even if that means everybody that's in your life is a liar. And that's in there too. That's in Romans, by the way. You say, John, listen, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've seen. 
You don't know what's been done to me. You ask me about peace in my mind. No, I don't have peace in my mind because every time I close my eyes, I relive all of the nastiness that has been my life up to this point. All of that pain comes rushing back. I've got good news for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Now, this is in the context of relationship between husband and wife, but there's a spiritual truth that's sitting right here in the middle of it that's got nothing to do with husbands, whether you are one or have one or never will, whatever. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church, okay? There's a period there. We're not talking about husbands anymore. Now we're going to describe, Paul's gonna describe how Jesus loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing. Some some translations say by the water of God's word. Washed by the water of God's word. The word of God is a gift to us, a gift of love by Jesus himself to the church for the purpose of making us holy, making us clean. And, he, and this word has the effect in our lives that water has on a dirty person. If you will consistently consume the word of God, listen, consistently, like for real, read it to understand it and believe it and accept it. If you will consistently consume the word of God, on a regular basis, it will begin to wash away the sin and the filth and the pain and all of the stuff that you've been through. And before you know it, you'll find yourself emotionally and mentally in a place that maybe you've never been before. If you have been traumatized and you did it to yourself, you didn't realize what you were doing, but you, you opened the door to pornography in your life, and now you have filled your mind with millions of images that you can't seem to stop thinking about, let the water of the Word of God wash your mind. Stop that. Start this. If it's the abuse that you've been through, and you see it replayed in your mind. Stop thinking about that. Take captive every thought. Bring it under subjection to the will of God. Stop that and start this. And let the water of the word of God wash you clean. And you will find yourself suddenly and surprisingly in a place you've never been. And that's peace. Peace. The old hymn says, there will be peace in the valley someday. I believe that's true. But it's not just true in the ultimate ultimate sense of when we all get to heaven. I believe it's not just someday. I have to believe and I believe it with all of my heart that there is peace in your valley today. Not someday, today. We can find peace because he's a good shepherd and he leads us there. So you want to be healed? Do you want want your life to change? Do you want to be transformed 
then yoke up with Jesus by getting into his word, by rejecting your old thinking and receive his truth. There is hope and healing for your hurting heart. And it's found in Jesus, the word of God. There's one last representation. We'll talk more about it next week, but I, I, I have to tell you about this today because this is the key. There's another representation that Jesus left for us on the earth so that we could follow him as the good shepherd. It's, he talked about it in John chapter 14. John 14, verses 25 through 26. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. They already knew this was the last night of Jesus' life on earth. He said, I'm telling you this now while I'm still with you because they know he's about to go away. But when the Father sends the advocate, and he'll tell you who that is, as my representative, whoever advocate is, capital A, whoever that is, is the representative of Jesus. And then he says, that is the Holy Spirit. So let's read that with that understanding. When the Father sends the Holy Spirit as my representative, he will, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The disciples realized Jesus wasn't going to physically be with them forever. And Jesus told them this to bring them comfort. He said, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in my place and he's going to remind you of everything that I've taught you. In other words, the Spirit is going to be my representative. That's what he said on this earth. You want to be able to yoke up with Jesus? You want to be able to follow the good shepherd? Then you get into his word and you establish a relationship with, a surrendered relationship with the Holy Spirit. In 28 years of, of pastoral ministry in a Pentecostal denomination, I've seen a pattern in the lives of people, especially people who've been hurt. They tend to either go all in with the scripture or they go all in with what, I'm going to put this in quotes, with the Spirit. Okay? That, that lead, that kind of mentality either leads them to legalism, that good boy, good girl syndrome, like I'm going to read the rules and I'm going to obey every rule and I'm going to make sure everybody else obeys the rules. Or, or they do the opposite and they do what a friend of mine calls chasing the wind. People either want nothing to do with what they think of as the Holy Spirit, or they are constantly, almost manically searching for the next move, the next wave, the next big thing of the Spirit. Th those who want nothing to do with the Spirit tend to be control freaks. And I can say that as a recovering control freak. For those people, the, the Holy Spirit is far too unpredictable and uncontrollable for them to be comfortable. And, and, and one of the major characteristics of a hurting heart is this need to control things, like everything, to your own exhaustion so that you don't get hurt again. On the other hand, there are people who go in the opposite direction. In, instead of trying to create control, maintain control, they embrace chaos. They reject anything or anybody that tries to control or limit them. And for them, the Bible is far too confining. They don't, they don't mess too much with the Bible. They prefer to chase an experience that will numb the pain in their lives for a few minutes. And, and quite honestly, it's an addictive behavior. They're searching for something that will numb the pain. And they, 
numb the pain with an emotional experience that they confuse with something spiritual. Not that there's no reality of a spiritual experience, but too many times hurt people confuse the two. They don't know what they're, they don't, they have no ability to discern what's real and what's emotion. Neither of those extremes is healthy. The word without the spirit is dead. The letter kills, it's the spirit that makes alive. At the same time, spiritual experiences without the word of God to ground those experiences and guide those experiences are dangerous and misguided. Neither of those two roads independently will lead you to a true relationship with Jesus. You must submit yourself to the word of God and the spirit of God because they're both expressions and representations of Jesus. They will always work together. You will never have to choose between the word and the spirit. Never, never. If your understanding of scripture makes you leery of the Holy Spirit, then you don't understand scripture. And if what you call the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something outside of or just flat against what's in the written word of God, then you may be following a spirit, all right, but it's not a holy one. And it's not from God. They always work together because they're one God. You say, John, listen, I just, I still, I just don't understand how a relationship with the Holy Spirit will bring healing to me because doesn't, doesn't it just make you act weird in church? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? Just, he, it just makes people act weird. So first of all, he's a he, not a it. He's just as much God as the Father and the Son. Second of all, people are weird with or without the Spirit. So don't blame weirdness on him. They were probably weird before they got saved. Now they're just saved and weird. And thirdly, just look at the ways the Spirit is represented and presented in the Scripture and you'll begin to see the connection to your healing. This is why you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. In, in, in the Gospel of, of Matthew, he is a dove that brings purity and peace to a troubled and wounded mind. He is oil and wine to cleanse and purify your wounds. He's a consuming fire to warm up the heart that's grown cold from being offended and mistreated. He's a rushing, mighty wind to uproot those trees that have sprung up from the roots of bitterness that we've allowed to grow in our lives. He's a river of living water who will bring life to your dead, dry bones. He is the former and the latter rain together who will bring you out of this season of winter that you've been in and will cause life to spring forth in you once again. Listen, you've lived in this dead, dry desert of pain and grief and shame and anger for far too long. It's time for you to have what Jesus died on the cross to give you. Salvation and a rich, abundant, fulfilling 
life. It's not either or. You don't have to choose. The price has been paid. He's a full service God. You just drive up and ask for it. It's already been taken care of. There is hope and healing for your hurting heart. And it comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ through his word and the spirit of God. Don't live another day without surrendering every part of your life to Jesus. You say, John, okay, fine. I want what you're talking about. I desperately need to be healed. I recognize my heart is hurting. I realize I don't think straight sometimes. My emotions are all jacked up. I don't make good decisions sometimes. So what do I do? If you've already been saved, if you have a relationship with Jesus, here's two things that you need to do today. Number one, recommit yourself to this word, to reading it as a source of life, not as, a, not as obligation. Read it as a sort like your life depends on it. It doesn't have to be a chapter a day doesn't have to be an hour a day. You ain't got to quit your job so you can read the Bible 40 hours a week. Just a daily dose of the word that you actually think about and meditate on and understand. And here's the second thing. Establish a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're like, ooh, John, that sounds all freaky. It's Jesus. Establish a relationship with with the Holy Spirit. And that's probably going to mean that you have to first of all repent for grieving him and for pushing him away and ignoring the things that he's been trying to teach you in your life. Or you have to repent for substituting emotion in his place. And then after you've repented, invite him in to take control of your life every day. You say, John, is there not a formula? Like, is there not a specific prayer that I'm supposed to pray? No, this is not witchcraft. It's not a spell. It's not an incantation that you speak over yourself. This is a real life conversation with a living God who knows your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So it's not, you don't get caught up in the words. It's in the relationship. If you will just surrender, he will lead you and guide you to truth. The truth of the word and the revelation of Jesus and the truth about what's going on in your soul. And he'll lead you down the path to hope and healing for your hurting heart. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to tell you about him. So if you... We're going to do an altar call here in just a second. If you want to come and ask me about how to be saved, how to have a relationship with Jesus, I would love for you to meet Jesus today. If you're online and you're watching, whether it's live or whether you're two weeks or two years from now, you contact us and we will be happy to introduce you to Jesus. That's step number one for everything. If you already have a relationship with Jesus, then I would challenge you to do those two things that I just uh, that I just laid out for you. Reestablish your connection with the Holy Spirit and get yourself back in the Word consistently. Y'all stand with me, please.
is a this is an analogy from a different scripture but this is what I feel like the Lord gave me in this moment we have work to do as a church don't we don't we have work to do y'all you have like the great commission like going and making disciples hasn't God also called us to provide this place of healing for these ladies he's called us to be a lighthouse in this community we've got work to do God wants to raise up an army but it has to be an army of people who are healed and whole and strong and we can't go and be effective in the work that we've been called to and the battles we've been called to wage on other people's behalf if we are limping and wounded ourselves. It's time for covenant life to get healed. Okay? I think some of y'all took offense to that. But I, I, I still mean it. It's time for covenant life to get healed so that we can go and do the work he's called us to. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to come and, and, and pray. And if you would like for me to pray with you, I am open to that. I'm going to put on my face shield so, so everything's safe. If you want to come and you want me to pray, please remain standing so I'll know that. If you want to come and pray by yourself, because I know I, know I am poking and prodding in some sensitive spots. I know that. I really wish I could tell you I'm going to stop doing that. I don't think that's in the cards for me. Because Jesus loves you too much to leave you hurting. So if you want to come and pray by yourself and just get right by yourself with you and God, you come and kneel and do that and I'll leave you alone. Okay? But I'm going to invite you to join me on this road to healing. What will it be like to have peace in your mind in your emotions what will it be like to spend a week healed imagine that and go for that because that's what he's provided for us father in the name of jesus i don't want to i don't want to try to use a prayer to re-preach a message i just want to say holy spirit would you lead us and guide us to truth, would you draw the people to this altar right now, Lord, who want to come and pray? Would you, would you just plant seeds in the hearts of people who are not yet ready to receive the truth? Would you just keep us close so that we can be healed? But God, I pray that you would help faith to arise, that you would help courage to arise, the courage to be healed, the courage to receive, the courage to and the humility to admit that we might actually have a problem that needs to be taken care of. Would you just help us? Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. 
At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.